So as we are continuing our the Sermon on the Mount series, today happens to be the part five of the mini-series within the series. We entitled it uh, Learning to Pray, part five. Concerning primarily what the Lord's Prayer, the, the Lord Jesus um, gave us the frame model prayer, not necessarily praying that literally only as a reciting, but also he gave us much of a what not to do and what to do. So we, as we focus on the last petition, sixth petition, Matthew 6, verse 13, I think we need to do a quick re- recap. And so far, chapter 6, verse 5 through 15, we've been learning on Jesus' teaching. And there are clearly two things that he's saying side by side. How not to pray and how to pray. And the specific guidance was pray then like this. First, starting verse 9, what we know as a Lord's Prayer, more of a disciple's prayer is there. So let's look at that quickly. Number one, unlike the um, Pharisees who praise in the streets to be by seen, to be recognized by others, don't pray that way. High, high, hypocritical way to be by sin is how not to pray. Rather, we are to pray genuinely. Not just in secret, thinking that any corporate communal prayer is not a good, good idea. Actually, any churches, I, I, I would actually challenge you to go through this uh, church history. Not just the first century in New Testament church, but over the decades... Any church stops praying together, becomes quite man-centered. They could prosper, they could grow, but discerning God's will, following the real transformation and God's glory is very thinned out. Praying church is powerful church. Playing church is impotent church. Secondly, we are not to pray mechanically like the religious pagans, uh, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Uh, Matthew 6, literal uh, phrases, a heap up their empty phrases mechanically. Rather than doing that, we are to pray thoughtfully. We could say the same prayer thoughtfully as well. But anything that disconnects with mind and our prayer and what we say in our heart is thoughtless, mindless prayer. And we are to pray thoughtful way. 
Thirdly, we are not to pray like insecure orphans. Insecure orphans is don't really have a trust in God, right? The uh, the kind of transactional relationship with the supreme being, and they have to perform religious fervors, and they have to even sometimes in Baal uh, worship. They inflicted their own bodies for God to get stimulated. And people say, you might say, oh, we don't do that anymore. That's kind of, you know, several, several hundreds of years ago. No, we could do that. By fasting, somehow we think that we are earning the right to God to move. By going to prayer meetings or going, having quiet times, we somehow think that God has to be working powerfully to our means. No, not like an orphan. So we are insecure that God might not hear us. We are we're not sure that God really likes what we are praying. So in that context, what... Jesus taught was a revolutionary. As a beloved children, our Father in heaven, our Abba, our dearest, dearest Father. Intimate relationship. It's not a thing. It's not a power. That God, who created the heavens and earth, would be that near and lovely and and he would be concerned about our thoughts and our minds and our prayers. Fourthly, we're not to pray initially I was going to say man-centered way. But more blatantly, when you become man-centered, when you think about you know, the horizontal things only, even if you might not praying for yourself, your children, your husband, your wife, and your company, your work, and your, your cousins, and your parents, in-laws. But it's basically self is the center. My will be done. God, you got to listen to this. My kingdom, my reign will come. And eventually, my glory to come. And Jesus' prayer, it starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God first, at the same time, God first paying the due and set that duty aside so, so that we can get to what we want? No. God is the entire thing. God is the center of our primary concern. Why? Because our deepest joy and truest happiness is in God. That's a fundamental relationship with God. It's our beloved children and our Father in heaven. And then, 
praying for uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth even today. We could think about big things because God-centered is what I don't want to bother God with the small little concerns that I have. So the fourth and the first. Fourth of six petitions, but the first of our needs. And notice that, once again, it is primary, basic, fundamental, physical need. Give us this day our daily bread. Not about forgiveness, not about our deliverance, protection, but very minimal thing. For the glory of God, yes, but God is the Abba Father who concerns, who's, who cares for every little details of our life. So we are to pray, small as well as big things. For big things, doesn't come that often. So usually it's a crisis, big things. God, you got to do something. You know, my kid is sick, really terribly sick. I don't know what it is. God, uh, my, my husband got into car accident. I don't know how he's... So you could really pray. Like, this is big enough, isn't it? As well as your kingdom, but, you know, this is crisis for us. And that, hence the reason why I decided to put nothing there. Quiet. Because pray, prayerlessness until the crisis happens. Here's a confession that I'd like to make. I keep a journal, right? There's a long intervals between one entry to the other entry. I'm saying, why did I, why did I skip so many weeks and months sometimes? And then... The last one is crisis. And then here, the beginning again, is another crisis. You see that? Our spiritual maturity has to embrace the, these walking with God, lows and highs, and every little details of life. Getting up in the morning. Good morning, Lord. Walk with me. Think with me. Use my hand for your glory. Take me with my feet where you would like to go. Love those who, whom you want to love with my heart. Every little detail. See, he's your Abba. And lastly, last week, we talked about uh, forgiveness. Verse 12, what not to do is with praying without confession or contrition. Not just the words, in other words. Or forgiving others. Remember, the whole section ends with verse 14 and 15. And today, we're focusing on verse 13 because in verse 12, Forgive, our, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debts. Others who sin against us, right? And then verse 14 and 15 is repeated, re-emphasized, reiterated. Because it just is so important. 
obviously, it's not because we have forgiven others, we have credited that you would forgive. Of course not. The justification we talked about, relationship with our Heavenly Father, has never been broken. But our fellowship with our Heavenly Father can be broken. Our prayers are not heard. We feel distant from God. And our, our meditation on the Word is dry. And start with that. And start with the confession. Start with the contrition. And start with forgiving others who have wronged you. And then you will begin to hear God's voices. You will begin to feel the first love again. So we, we are to continue to pray with confession and forgiveness. Remember, daily forgiveness from God. Daily confession, not annual confession. And today, in sixth and final, is verse 13. And before we go into verse 13, John Stott summarizes what we've been studying I think poignant words, and you know, as you know, that John Stott has been always one of my really key book mentors. And in his commentator, he writes this: From these unworthy notions, we turn back with relief to the teaching of Jesus Christ, that God is our Father in in the heavens. We need to remember that He loves us with most tender affection as he sees his children even in the secret place, that he knows his children and all their needs before they ask him, and that he acts on behalf of his children by his heavenly and kingly power. If we thus allow scripture to fashion our image of God, if we recall his character and practice his presence, We shall never pray with hypocrisy, but always with integrity. Never mechanically, but always thoughtfully, like the children of God that we are. There's two big reasons that we need to gear up, become really prayerful, church-wide, not just the leadership, but every single one of the Crossway family. And I think it's a God's providence that as we're learning to pray, that we will pray together. So all those three home groups, let me just say before you want to go on, pray for the prayer request that we're going to talk about. Pray for the church together. And in your home, with your children, pray for those requests. Let's rely on God. So sixth petition is about our need for protection and deliverance from evil. One final uh, overview of the entire uh, Lord's Prayer, including verse 14 and 15. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Highlighted with the red fonts is our focus today. There are three lessons that we draw from here, at least three. Uh, let's begin with uh, the overall verse, entire verse 13, and then we will meditate in the first part, and then following, follow the, uh, the second part of the petition. Number one, the sixth petition teaches us to acknowledge our innate vulnerability to temptation and sin. And sometimes, if you look at some other resources, that people say, Lord's Prayer have seven petitions. No, because of this. These are not two petitions. This is only one petition with two parts. One, the first part is negative part. Lead us not. And then second part is the positive part. Deliver us from. We have to pray daily. Not on a very difficult time that you feel the temptation all around. But daily. As if we need, we are acknowledging our daily bread. We feel the hunger if we don't have it. We get anxious. And same thing with the daily forgiveness. Asking for God's forgiveness. But we are to pray for God's protection and deliverance daily. By doing that, what are we doing actually? We're saying, Lord, I can't make it on my own. So this really separates the true followers of Christ apart from the religious followers of Christ who are not really regenerated. We, we are not really born again in some sense. By some sense, I mean biblical way, not a cultural way of using, oh, that person is really different, reformed, not on the surface, Born from above, that actually Heavenly Father becomes Heavenly Father. One, the, one factor who's not a believer is a, he or she is in enmity with God, holy God, without Christ, a mediator. So in this sense, what are we acknowledging by praying this? That we are bent toward to sin and evil. Some, there's an unrealistic, overly pious, uh, over-spiritualizing Christians as if the sin and temptation is really far away and they don't affect us. And one of those people 
that even in, in our generation, you know, uh, can, you, can you watch that? Whatever the controversial uh, TV shows like Game of Thrones or something, and then, oh, don't be legalistic. You know what? I could handle. It doesn't really phase me when it comes to a little bit of nudity and What the person is saying, I'm self-sufficient. There might be a really crisis moment that I need to cry out to, to God for protection and deliverance. This will be hard to believe for some of you. Back in my young days, teenage years in college and up to even the... Uh, early 20s, I used to be a lifesaver. So, I mean, lifeguard. <laughs> lifesaver is <laughs> candy, right? <laughs> and then, uh, one of the typical reasons why people get drowned, and, and you know, they're not the usually people who can't really swim the adventures to other places. These are the ones who really know how to swim and, and they feel confident they don't need to be with people and they could venture out. And especially, you know, back in Texas, we didn't have a beach. It was just a simple lake and a swimming pool. But I could really literally tell how people could drown. And one day, I, I used to be a swimmer. I still swim. And the water is actually, you know, I feel lighter and <laughs> I feel good. All right? But uh, in the ocean, I was venturing out into deep a little bit. He said, you know, I feel really free. And then I, I didn't know how far I, I came out. And then I drifted away, in other words. So I little, oh, I need to go back. And I start getting cramps on my leg. So the number one thing, the lifeguard lesson number one thing is, when you feel any cramps, anything, emotionally, and when you, when you drink a cup of water, I mean, the, you know, one gulp of water, if you panic, things are over. The ocean and water will take, take you over. So I had to be really patient. So being calm, even going underwater, holding my hand, holding my leg, relaxing, and I felt better. But I knew that it was far away. So I had to come out very slowly, <coughs> swimming very slowly, not anything uh, too much of using my muscle. What am I saying all, with all this? If you think that you don't need to pray this prayer, it basically when it comes to this prayer, the verse 12 is past sins and asking for God's forgiveness and renewal and restoration. Verse 13 is about future unknown temptations. Yes, because of our sin, because of our evil, wicked heart, we are getting close to where we should not go the places and time and people who would tempt us because of our foolishness, but including 
there are things that we don't even know it's out there. Sometime throughout the day, I will face that. Brothers and sisters, one of our vision, the Crossways dream is a paradoxical thing, right? The way of the cross. Choosing the way of the cross as our way. It's a brokenness, a humility. It's, it's, it's a things that are not that popular. Versus the worldly wisdom is confident. Even if you don't have a confidence, act like your confidence. You don't want to show it to others. Any kind of insecurity you might have. I'm not advocating brokenness for the sake of brokenness. Brokenness to acknowledge our vulnerability and our weakness, our wicked heart before God. Then we are admitting that we are not only bent toward, toward to sin and evil, that power of the evil one is overwhelming and cunning. So he lies to us. We're not smart enough to catch where and how he is making these making this decoys and traps. That we need a savior and deliver it today. And one more thing. As you pray for your children, I know your heart. It's just like mine. We want good things for our kids, right? So we pray for school, we pray for grace, and we pray for sharpness and ripe opportunity. Do you pray for God's protection on them in terms of their evil heart, their pride? Where that lures or inducement to evil will come. Be very afraid. Because Satan is much more much smarter than you and I. Number two, sixth petition teaches us to rely on God's protection from situations that induce us to evil. I actually thought about what temptation is and then actual temptation. The word, if we really unpack that, it will be inducement to evil or lures of sin and evil. So let's focus on the first part this time. Lead us not into temptation. The Greek word here is actually a neutral word. And it has two meanings. And that's why we get a little confused whenever we go through the New Testament. One is that word that I just defined, the American word, English word, inducement to sin. But the other word is testing or trial, hardships. And the problem in this passage that we need to understand a little clearly is that 
James chapter 1 verse 13 says, God does not tempt anyone. Do not say when you're tempted, God made me do this. God doesn't tempt anyone. God doesn't bring evil. God is not the source of evil. God is not inducer of evil. The God is holy and good. Anything against, different from God, Satan, championed that. Therefore, source and origin of evil is the devil himself. So the problem is, if God doesn't lead us in temptation, why do you pray God lead us not into temptation? But God is sovereign. Evil happens in our lives and prayers, I mean, sufferings happen in, in our lives until we get to see Jesus to face to face in heaven. But God is sovereign. Like Job's case, God allows the evil. God allows even the Satan to shake us down. So God allows temptation in some sense. So what we are actually relying on is two things. Our responsibility is surrendering and acknowledging our vulnerability and weakness and declaring our utter dependence on, on God. And at the same time, we trust and plead and cling to God's sovereign protection over us. If trial is, you know, another, another translation or the commentaries will say, it is trial. So we should read it that way. Do not lead us, to, lead us into temptation. Oh, no. Since God doesn't lead us into temptation, we should read, do not lead us to trials. But James chapter 1, verse 2, the same, same James, brother of, brother of our Lord. In the same chapter, he says, count it for all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because trials are doing things that you don't see in your life, that God produces character in you. It's a God's mask blessing for you. So once again, coming out and looking at that, I think this is really what it means. In your sovereignty, Lord, when the trial or situation becomes too severe for me, that I will, in, in the midst of it all, tempt it. Protect me from those temptations in your sovereignty. Do not cause trials too severe. And that trial becomes an ugly temptation in me that I'll have to give in. Have mercy on me. So it just helps us to pray like this. We pray by praying this prayer, this part of petition, we're praying that God would not allow trials too severe that may cause us to be tempted. We pray also that in His sovereignty, God will protect us from situations that induce and lure us to sin. And thirdly, we pray that 
God would prevent our own foolishness from wandering into temptation. Yes, we're going to talk about the evil one. Satan himself. But you know, our heart itself is wicked. We're prone to wander into the sin. So once again, going back to the pious. And when I over-spiritualize, I could think like this also too. As if sin is not, doesn't good look to me. And temptation is, oh, who would like that? It's like, you know, I don't like, I don't like broccoli. I have to eat broccoli. Sin is like, temptation is like, this is the type of people who get to really sin and, and fall. And we get to hear all these the ramification of the one person's sin falling because of self-sufficiency, because I think I could handle it kind of thing. But rather, when you think about this um, temptation coming in, temptation is like sweet jelly. You know, the pigs love the jelly beans. And the slaughters, instead of yanking those swines, the, the pigs, into the slaughterhouse, what they do is that they drop jelly beans. And they come and come and come without resisting at all to the slaughterhouse. To get killed. Now, this is a picture of what the evil one is doing when we are walking into the to the devil's trap. Initially, is there a ramification? So I have a sinful thought, lossful thought, and my coworker looks really sexy today. So I'm gonna enjoy it as long as I don't do physically. A little jelly bean, right? Next time when you have a conversation with her or him, it's just tasty. It's so sweet. <laughs> Sin could be in any direction, not just the, the sexual things, but it could be in terms of a little bit of pride, a little bit of negativism. Little bit of cynicism makes us numb to the next temptation, to the next sin. And thirdly, sick petition teaches us to rely on God's deliverance from sin and evil in this world, including the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And deliver us from evil is the hard cry in any situation, any time that we could pray. Even when you are falling to the temptation. And you could cry out, deliver us from evil. So the scholars and commentaries have a two views here. And uh, I went back and forth. 
oh, this is right and this is right. No, I think this is right. Why? Because there's an article, the evil. And then one of the strongest argument is that Matthew, the gospel writer, in chapter 13, uh, parable of sore, he uses the, the phrase, the evil ones come and snatch out the seed. It's a unique title that Matthew uses for the Satan, the, for the devil. So people are saying, oh, this is deliver us from the evil one, the devil. But in the, even through the, the last few days of my meditation, I begin to become more convinced it's not just the one or the other. ESV translates it, deliver us from evil. And NIV or other translations will say, deliver us from the evil one. Why? The evil one is really something that we need to think about. But it's, it also, it's an evil, the evil in the world including my own foolishness, including cultural trend, including whatever that is cunning and whatever it is, decoys of the evil one is going on, deliver us from the evil, the evil. So we are to pray for both of it. Praying this petition helps us to rely on God this way, that God will strengthen us Strengthen us to flee from evil and resist the devil. So deliver us from evil, and we need to be congruent, right? So forgive us our debts, and we need to forgive other, others, our debtors to be congruent. That we mean what we pray. When we say deliver us from evil, we need to become like Joseph. And he said, wait, any time, God, this is a good time to deliver me from Potiphar's wife, and he's, she's grabbing me, she's touching me where he should not touch. Deliver me from the evil one, this lady. <laughs> he fled to a point that she was grabbing and she took off. The garment was left behind. So when you next time play, pray, deliver us, deliver me from the evil, flee. From the website, flee from that person, flee from the place and time. But rely on God's power. That God, in your sovereignty, take me out of this pit. Take me out of this unhealthy relationship. Unhealthy habits. So we're praying that God also, that God would deliver us from the decoys and cunnings and traps from, this, from Satan. That God would keep us holy as his children by perpetual deliverance. By perpetual deliverance, it's like 10 years ago God delivered me and that's it. No, today and yesterday and tomorrow God will continually deliver me. And keep me holy as his children. So always one of the things that helps me is that um, 
Let the scripture say about the different scripture. So when you know, we don't talk about this too often, so let me just briefly mention this. My paradigm shift changed my preaching. Did I not use the Bible verses in the past? Yes, I did, of course. I was conservative in, in my approach to scripture. But the difference is that God-centered preaching is not only Bible-based, but Bible-saturated. Why? The scripture, God's word has a power. Not my analogy, not my illustration, not my savviness. And I don't have much. So let the word of God speak to us. James 1, 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 talks about our need for vigilance. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. James 4, 6 to 7, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit out yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Not, not God. Resist the devil for me. We resist him. Because in the name of power and authority of Jesus Christ, devil will flee. Two quick uh, applications. Number one, we are to be vigilant against our self-sufficiency and complacency in our daily spiritual battle through prayer. Why? If we become convinced and acknowledge our vulnerability and sin-proneness, it will lead us to be vigilant. Vigilant about how? By prayer. And Jesus in Gethsemane, can you stay with me and pray with me and pray for me one hour? Can you tarry one hour? And they couldn't. Flesh is too weak. Spirit is willing. He comes back and asks them. Gives that announcement. Encouragement. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. So you know what that means? It's not because a disciple's lack of determination, lack of devotion. And look at Peter, how fervent he was, saying that I'll go to the death in prison with you. And not because of his sincerity, but, but because of lack of prayer. We are to pray. So we're going to actually pray together. Uh, So that's why I need to wrap up. And be vigilant. Another one is by relying on the leading of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Second and last application, 
we are to rely on God daily, praying for God's protection and de deliverance from the evil one and the evil in the world. We need to be desperate in praying this and relying on God's power daily rather than our own way and cleverness. And then we need to not only cling to his deliverance, but praise God for his deliverance. And there is a part that is omitted from most of the recent translations. Why? The translations like ESV looks for the credibility scale, the validation of what's really originated from the Lord Jesus and, and the original script, manuscript, is how old that manuscript is, how many old scripts have that. The most trustworthy old scripts didn't have commonly known as the doxology in the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Is omitted. Probably scribes or the people who are church fathers, I mean the early days of those uh, manuscript people as they are copying, he said it probably included it. Whether or not Jesus said it or not, this is thoroughly biblical and from Deuteronomy as well. And then one of the arguments for theologians will say that Jews' prayer has always bookends. Starts with God's glory, it's going to end with God's glory. I don't know. But simply Jesus might not have that, had not said it. And the church fathers put it. But one thing is clear. This is thoroughly biblical. And to pray this way is good. So when we pray intentionally, we do not need not to take that out of the Lord's Prayer when we pray. But what does that indicate for us, point to us? Probably the, the best way to fight the devil and the evil is focus on, focusing on God and God's glory and praise Him. When you're tempted, when you're discouraged, when you have negative thoughts, start praising Him. Sing songs of praise, literally. And literally say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Even today, in my heart, in my room, in my house, in my church. So my dear sisters and brothers, we're concluding today the Lord's Prayer part. So would you stand as we... I know some of you have already memorized and... There's some typical way, either trespasses or something, but we're going to actually read and pray ESV version of including that doxology. Let's read it slowly and thoughtfully together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, thank you for teaching us for five weeks in a row how to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this pattern that you've given us. It already has changed many of our prayers. We pray you will continually teach us and cause us to be a praying church. We pray all these things in your Son's name, our Lord and our Savior, our Deliverer, Jesus Christ. Amen. 